When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Live from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. This is historic progress, pulling our economy out of the worst crisis in 100 years. The key to the new innovation technology is actually coming from the oil and gas industry. How much money do we need for rural broadband? How much money do we need for bridges? Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. Wages will continue rising until those supply constraints ease up. President Biden's economic plan is certainly working. The investments in the American Rescue Plan are being impactful. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Live from Washington, where senators negotiating infrastructure say they are 99% there. Coming up, we'll focus on some critical issues feeding the debate around it and the overall economic recovery with Congresswoman Haley Stevens, Democrat from Michigan, whose local auto industry, part of her district in Detroit, is feeling the impact of the chip shortage. We need to incentivize the manufacturing of chips in America. Commerce Secretary weighing in today will talk later as well with a former senior policy advisor to Senator Rob Portman about what is happening behind the scenes right now on Capitol Hill. Thanks for joining us here on Bloomberg Sound On. As Intel makes headlines after hours, just hearing, we've been watching headlines roll across the terminal about the chip shortage. With GM forced to stop some pickup production for a week. That'll start Monday. And Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo calling on Congress today to act. I am engaging almost daily with industry. Uh, We are working as hard as we can to get the House to pass the CHIPS Act or their version of USICA. And we're putting plans in place right now already on the team to invest the $52 billion, we need to incentivize the manufacturing of chips in America. Uh, And so we are very focused on putting the pieces in place so that can happen. Secretary Raimondo speaking to reporters today as part of the daily White House briefing, having been tapped, of course, by President Biden to lead White House efforts on this. To kick things off this hour, we bring in a member of Congress with deep ties to the auto industry, Congresswoman Haley Stevens, Democrat from Michigan, who, as I mentioned, has part of her district in Detroit, former chief of staff as well to the U.S. Auto Rescue Task Force, set up by former President Barack Obama, if you remember. The economic downturn in 0708. Congresswoman, welcome back to Bloomberg Radio. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here with you. We learned today that GM will stop making most of its pickup trucks next week because of the chip shortage. We've heard similar announcements recently from Ford and from other automakers. And, of course, we all know there's a big push for EVs. 
which need even more chips. You're urging Speaker Pelosi to pass the CHIPS Act, Congresswoman. How would that help this problem now? Well, certainly there's the industry standpoint of what is happening to our, our original equipment manufacturers, the, the Ford, the GM, the, 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 the Stellantis um, operations. We're hearing this across our supply chain. We're projecting a, a, a lot of lost profits as a result of this. Uh, but most palpably, where we are seeing the impact is with everyday, hardworking Michigan families. Um, very alarmingly, we just saw um, a, a pretty incredible uptick uh, in, um, in unemployment filings in the state of Michigan. Nearly 13,000 were just filed uh, within the last week alone. Uh, this is a direct result of our chip shortage. I have been hearing from suppliers on this. I have been working with suppliers on this. I just held a meeting to learn more. And the resounding message was the United States government should make an investment now so that we can prepare and further stop the, the bleeding and bring some of the, the certainty. Now, Let's be clear. I don't expect these to be permanent job losses, but this is absolutely a setback when you see the large automakers shutting down operations. And those are specifically auto jobs you're talking about, that 13,000 number? These are, these are mostly automotive jobs. Um, looking at year-over-year comparisons, this is a very abnormal spike. Uh, I talked to my contact, Glenn Stevens, not related to me, at what's called Mish Auto, which is a division of our Detroit Regional Chamber. He verified, um, you know, those who are reporting on this are verifying that this is, uh, actually, my contact from Mish Auto said 100% this is on, this is is a result of the chip shortage. And, And by the way, you know, as someone who does, you know, the deep work of going uh, into the automotive companies, you know, the suppliers, the small businesses who are also feeling these ramifications. It's not just the OEM. It's it's also the tier ones and tier two suppliers and on that have told me for a while now that they are worried about uh, potential short-term layoffs and, 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 and production shortages as a result of this chip shortage. And this is a huge wake-up moment. And it is I want to be really careful with how I'm talking about this with the listeners here today, because this is not an overnight solution. Right. You make the investment, right? Like you make the investment now and, and, and it's got to play out over a multitude of quarters and, and really years. But that's why I ask you about the CHIPS Act and, and what it can do to help now, because you know more than most people how long it takes to order and have a chip manufactured, have a chip delivered. We could build new foundries, uh, but it'll take potentially less time for this shortage to resolve itself. Are you worried that this could get worse before it gets better? Look, I, I believe these are disruptions. I want to I be clear on that front. Um, could we potentially experience more pain worse than we are right now? Absolutely. Could it look a little bit better a month or two from now? Yes. And then could we dip again? Yes. And could that dip be worse than the dip that we're experiencing right now? Yes. Uh, so in, in many respects, what's playing out is turbulence uh, and, and dips and rises. And there's a real need for certainty. And there's just most importantly uh, a, a, a need 
to address this weakness in our supply chain so that we can meet the demand and sell and and, and sell these incredible products as we make them in, in Michigan. And right now we can't even make them. Right. And therein lies the problem. Of course, we've been talking jobs and autos here, Congresswoman. They're both mentioned and, in fact, incentivized, uh, if I can use that word, in the infrastructure framework that we've been uh, talking about and, and that you've been negotiating here in Washington. There's a report out today from Ernst & Young that finds that electric cars, EVs, will be taking over uh, from internal combustion engines sooner than people thought, years earlier, potentially. And I wonder if you're worried about that demand for chips making this problem potentially worse. It's all a part of what I have directly told the president when he came to Michigan we need to be focused on, which is the supply chain for electric cars and the U.S. content piece of this. I've got umpteen examples of electrolyte manufacturers that produce the chemicals that go into the battery. We've only got one in Michigan and two in the United States total. We have got to have a consolidated and regional supply chain that is diversified and ready to meet the needs of the battery and also the electric vehicle. And you are spot on to raise this chip component. If we continue to kick the can down the road, we're going to lose out on jobs. We're going to lose out on manufacturing capabilities. And we are going to continue to pay the price just as we are right now. Talk to me more about infrastructure before you're gone. Is this thing going to pass and in what form? Well, I, I consider myself the coalition of the willing on this. And and what I mean by that is we have we have the trapping of a good bill, a starter bill. There's always a lot of pressure in these environments of how much are we gonna do? And my philosophy is this you're not gonna solve all the world's problems in one bill, but you can certainly solve a whole heck of a lot of them if you pass something. And where we are is looking at this trillion dollar proposal. This is what I'm hearing, you know, from the stakeholders that I work with. I got a lot of great construction companies right in my district who I I lean on for this. You know, their endorsement means a lot. Certainly as a House member, I am paying really close attention and 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 giving my senators from Michigan the, the space to negotiate this this deal and putting trust in this. And and part of it is we gotta sometimes step off the political gas and really look at what is going to be best and right for the country. And and that's not to be cliche. You know, not everything has to be about political score points. We should be scoring points for the United States of America. We've gone way too long underfunding basic infrastructure in this country. We're going to continue to come back at it. We also know that the infrastructure deal is certainly going to include some climate remedies and solutions because it can't not. You know, we've had record level funding in Michigan. Look at my Chrysler, you know, deep uh, underwater just at the end of June with some extreme flooding. Again, another setback from our manufacturing capabilities and on. That's all going to inherently tie into the work that we are going to do in infrastructure. And again, I, I am ready as a congresswoman from Michigan to cast that vote and get this done, not only for my constituents, but for the country. Well, we'll find out what happens with negotiations. In the meantime, Congresswoman Haley Stevens, Democrat from Michigan, thank you for talking with us today on Bloomberg Sound On and our regards to Detroit. Hey, thank you so much. Great to be with you. Bloomberg's Eric Wasson is reporting that senators are closing in on a deal, the latest on the terminal, well, closing in on a deal again. 
After agreeing to pay for it in part by delaying a Trump-era Medicare rule that eliminates rebates that drug companies give to benefits managers in an effort to lower out-of-pocket costs. So that is being seen by most as progress, but we're not there yet. Senator Tom Carper, Democrat from Delaware, Delaware, Joe Biden state, now suggesting that he will object if negotiators do not include more money for water and sanitation. He's not alone. Others are pointing to their own priorities, as Eric reports, like high-speed rail. This is why talks like these can take forever and why congressional aides are continuously being sent out to get takeout food and wine. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest is triple launch stratacoaster get your tickets at cedarpoint.com for these negotiating sessions you're listening to bloomberg sound on with joe matthew on bloomberg radio so they say we could have a deal on infrastructure at any time wait i thought we already had a deal though most of the negotiators seem to think it will take the weekend some have suggested they are 99 percent there and Isn't that always the hard part? President Biden made the case last night in a CNN town hall in Cincinnati. Ohio and Kentucky combined, there's well over, there's thousands of bridges that need repair. Thousands, thousands of bridges. And we should be looking at it this way. It increases commerce, number one, but guess what? For good paying union jobs, union, union jobs. liked it. But House Republican leader Kevin McCarthy did not. One conservative sounding the alarm on spending and specifically inflation, as he discussed today in a briefing, pointing to specific examples he's hearing from constituents. Inflation is a tax on every single American. You just listen from the first story of a retired police officer and National Guard in Arkansas. That just last year he paid $35 to fill up his truck. Today it's 92 Or that mom who says they can't eat out anymore. This is the effects of their action. And what do they take from that? To propose to go spend another $3.5 trillion. So, who's right? Joe Biden says infrastructure creates jobs. Kevin McCarthy says Democrats have already spent too much. We're joined by Gordon Gray, Director of Fiscal Policy at the American Action Forum, former Senior Policy Advisor to Senator Rob Portman, who of course is leading the GOP side of negotiations. Welcome, Gordon. It's great to have you. Thanks so much for having me. I think I know who you're going to agree with here. (laughs) But if we have a jobless recovery, we have Mark Zandi telling us yesterday that we need to spend this money to not only fix roads, bridges, tunnels, etc., but also the reconciliation plan to add to economic growth, suggesting that it will start to slow down once we get into fall and winter. When are we going to have a deal? Well, you you know, I I am encouraged at the progress, the good faith progress that uh, congressional negotiators are making. And uh, I do think it's probably worth pointing out just a little bit that there is a little bit of nuance here with respect to spending and and inflation, because not all spending is created equal. You know, solid investment in infrastructure that raises productivity can 
increase economic growth without uh, overheating the economy. But just throwing money at at the economy uh, that I think some of the other policies that are being considered in the broader bill do really have some inflation risk. So there's a little bit of nuance here. What is your old boss, Rob Portman, going through right now? Have you a sense of what's going on behind the scenes? He is obviously trying to to carry the line for Republicans, but he's really walking a tightrope here. And a lot of people have suggested after that cloture vote yesterday that this deal may never happen. So I, I can just just speaking from my own experience, you know, Rob is one of the hardest working members of the Senate. He is a sincere legislator. Uh, he, you know, looks at problems and tries to approach them pragmatically. Uh, and what I, I know is going on right now is that they're just working really hard to find ways to pay for uh, this uh, big new expenditure that they're considering. And that's really hard. There's a reason why we, uh, you know, we have baseline deficits that are on the order of a trillion dollars or trillion dollars over the next decade is because people don't like paying for stuff. <laughs> and so that's always a tall order. Well, we just had four years of a Republican president who didn't want to pay for a lot of stuff. And, you know, we're talking sure. about the debt ceiling now here, Gordon. Uh, it is interesting how people find religion when the uh, the party seems to change when it comes to deficits, yep. isn't it? It's a grand tradition here in Washington. <laughs> so where do you go with that then? I mean, obviously, there are pay-fors that have been outlined. That's a big part of the uh, the argument right now. I mentioned this Trump-era oh. Medicare regulation that they have agreed to delay. But all the while, in that same negotiating room, you have members who are looking to fulfill their own priorities. Right. And and so that's always always the challenge is that when you when you get down to making the hard decisions of what you're going to pay for and how, invariably what you're telling people is no you can't have have something. No you don't get to benefit uh, through this policy, maybe even in a way that you used to. You have to tell people no. Nobody gets elected, or very few people get elected successfully by using the word no very often. And mm-hmm. so that's that's fundamentally the challenge. When you know, when you're looking for for a lot of money to to finance a big expenditure, you know, then you start adding up an awful lot of uh, of uh, promises that people have otherwise made, and and it makes it difficult to get the yes. If it's not paid for. Will Republicans vote for it? I don't believe so. Uh, I, I and and frankly, um, this is a as you you mentioned. You know, Rob is walking a very tight tight rope here. Um, they have uh, the good faith buy in of of a sufficient number of Republicans at at the moment, um, but we haven't seen the final product. And you know, that's the. That will be the acid test for this this proposal because, as I said, there's going to be some tough decisions in here, um, and uh, and one of those tough decisions is frankly to pay for it. Now, when this thing comes out, if it's filled with budget gimmicks, you know that may introduce some other risks too. So we'll just have to see what the final product is. But it's 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 a tricky um, needle to um, uh, to thread here. So no, true. Um, you know, we'll we'll see. Gordon Gray, Director of Fiscal Policy at the American Action Forum. Glad you're with us. Thanks for joining us today on Bloomberg Sound On. So what happened to the jobs last week? The Bloomberg consensus called for 350,000 new unemployment applications. They actually went up by over 50,000. We're looking for a decline. 350, they went up. 50,000, not good. When we keep hearing companies cannot find enough workers to fill positions, 
something President Biden was asked about by a restaurant owner during a CNN town hall last night. How do you and the Biden administration plan to incentivize those that haven't returned to work yet? Hiring is our top priority right now. Well, two things. One, if you notice, we kept you open. We spent billions of dollars to make sure restaurants could stay open. And, uh, and uh, a lot of people who now, who worked as waiters and waitresses, uh, decided that they don't want to do that anymore because there's other opportunities at higher wages because there's a lot of openings now in jobs. And people are beginning to move. Beginning to move. President Biden went on to say that workers are looking to bargain. And some were unsatisfied with that answer. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki today was asked to clarify. I think what the president was noting is that uh, at this point in time, it's also a workers market. And uh, in some places, uh, it may be that you have to pay more wages in order to attract workers. So we're in a workers market, even with almost 7 million jobs that have yet to be restored from the pandemic. And we talk about it now with Bloomberg government's Andrew Husby. Welcome, Andrew. It's good to have you. Uh, great. Uh, thanks for having me on. I know these weekly reports can be noisy, and I want to be clear uh, if I just stepped on those numbers. The the Bloomberg consensus was calling for 350,000 new applications. We got 419,000. Is this looking more like a jobless recovery? Well, um, I'd say in this case, uh, there is some uh, underlying noise here. Uh, so these numbers, you know, they are weak, volatile on a weekly basis. And right now we're dealing with some quirks around normal, um, say, retooling in the auto sector that had a different flavor this year. Um, so that, I think, was behind some of the volatility on a, and the rise on a state-by-state basis. So the numbers aren't quite as bad as they look. Um, and another element of this report was uh, the continuing claims count, and that's sort of a measure of weeks filed for ongoing claims. And those did show a bit of a drop on a seasonally adjusted basis. So mm-hmm. Um, it's it certainly we would expect um, you know more progress at this point, uh, given how many openings there are. But there are uh, a number of frictions in the labor market right now that uh, that are certainly uh, withholding uh, uh, or restraining uh, better uh, momentum right now. A lot of questions have been asked about why, what's keeping people on the sidelines as we have 6.8, I believe, million jobs yet to be recovered from the beginning of the pandemic. A lot of people say that could change. Andrew, in September, when kids start going back to school and when unemployment benefits expire, the combined effect there could be powerful, right? Our, our team uh, does expect uh, that uh, our Bloomberg Economics team does expect those uh, uh, sort of the removal of those frictions to help. Um, now, certainly there's going to be uh, some measure of uh, permanent job loss. You see it in the other uh, the monthly numbers from the BLS. You, you do see um, a lot of workers characterizing themselves as sort of permanently displaced. So um, the full amount uh, likely doesn't come back immediately. That that will take time uh, amid the displacement we're seeing. Um, but uh, we do expect uh, the combination of uh, child care, uh, uh, even uh, health fears still lingering, um, as well as the uh, expiration of those unemployment benefits to uh, to factor into that. We uh, are, are some of the research we've done says uh, over the near term, about a million jobs are sort of primed to come back as the uh, those benefits have uh, been uh, uh, removed in about half of U.S. states right now, and you are yeah. seeing uh, some of those states you see uh, more of a more of a pickup. So the removal of unemployment benefits, or at least the the increased unemployment benefits, you say will result in a million jobs on its own. 
being restored. Is that right? On its own, that's that's really um, a, a number uh, that we think is relevant over the summer, and it's probably a bit more uh, as we head into the fall. So uh, it, a it's a sizable deal. number, but it still doesn't doesn't recoup the full number of jobs. When you talk about displaced workers, Andrew, can you explain that a bit more? Is that people who had to physically relocate? Is it people who retired? Is it people who just gave up looking? Uh, it, it's it's really a mix of all of those. So uh, you know. In, in this case, uh, you have a new uh, new business models popping up for for some things. You know your your uh, home deliveries, your uh, your uh, work from home type jobs, and uh, there are other jobs. So the, the new businesses pop up; those need to be filled um, with openings with uh, new workers. But at the same time, maybe the uh, the corner store or the corner restaurant uh, isn't going to open. So those uh, who work there, who live near there, uh, that is no longer an open uh, a job that's going to be filled uh, immediately. So it could be geographic. It could be skills. It's, it's in our view, a, a mix of all of them. And it's, uh, it's not uh, something that uh, can be solved over a course of weeks or months. It'll probably take a, a year or, or two at least to, uh, to get all of those back. You mentioned uh, auto jobs at the outset, Andrew. Is the services sector still the weakest spot? We heard that restaurant owner talking with President Biden last night, filling counter jobs, uh, jobs in the kitchen, restaurants, hospitality. Is that still the weak point? That is, um, and that's also actually where you're seeing a lot of openings. Uh, well above the pre-pandemic norm, you're seeing uh, far more openings in that, that sector. And, and once again, this sort of overlaps with that um, low-wage uh, workers you know, potentially being incentivized to at least hold out uh, for, for better pay. Because if you look at uh, what uh, those numbers look like, uh, the, the top-up plus regular benefits works out to a uh, – an hourly wage of somewhere in the vicinity of, say, $17 to $20 an hour, um, and a lot of these jobs were not paying that. Um, so in, in that sense, you can kind of understand why why some of these jobs uh, are being uh, uh, filled less quickly. We're reporting on the terminal uh, today as well, Andrew, that COVID could inject further volatility in these numbers in the coming months. Is that what you expect? Uh, certainly volatility. We don't think it changes the trajectory of recovery. Uh, we think uh, we still see a pretty strong summer and uh, still uh, continuing into the fall. Um, but uh, there is a risk that the uh, Delta variant does uh, sort of tamp down the degree of, uh, of economic surge uh, this, this, uh, sum- this summer. Bloomberg government's Andrew Husby. Many thanks for the insights today, helping us understand what's behind these numbers. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. A report today, the White House is in talks with the CDC now about whether to update mask guidance for all of us. In light of the Delta variant, in light of increasing cases and hospitalizations in a number of states, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki was asked about it today. We are guided by uh, the science and we're guided by our public health experts. And any decision would come from the CDC. And what's the CDC got to say? Director Rachel Walensky from today's COVID briefing. We are always looking at the data as the data come in. Our mat, our guidance has been clear since since we put it out several months ago. And that's where we begin with our panel today. Bloomberg Politics contributor Jeannie Sheehan-Zeno is with us, along with Adam Goodman, Republican strategist and columnist, and Edward R. Murrow, senior fellow at Tufts University. Welcome to both of you. Jeannie, this is a delicate dance for the White House and for federal health officials for the CDC as they've tried to use masks, I think we can agree, as an incentive to get vaccinated, almost a reward 
for getting a shot and an example for people who have not. See, this could be you someday walking around without a mask. Do you see them changing, Jeannie, this in light of the Delta variant, or would that actually discourage people from getting vaccinated? I think it's a very tough decision for this White House. Um, I think they will listen to what the CDC has to say. But as you look at the states, I mean, look at a state like Florida. You have the governor, DeSantis, down in Florida Mm -hmm. saying they won't do lockdowns there. You have the governor of Texas saying they will not require masks in schools. So the, the White House is in a very tough bind here as the president looks to move on with the rest of his agenda. And these Delta numbers soar. How do they handle an up? an uptick or a surge like we're seeing now. Adam Goodman, is it too late from a political standpoint, as opposed to a health standpoint, for this mask policy to change? Uh, it isn't. And I'll tell you, if if we do nothing else tonight... Did you say it is or it isn't? It, 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 there's, there's something we can do, uh, but it can't be done just by politicians because it has to be done by the, by the American people. Joe, if, we, if you did nothing else tonight... But take a look at that interview from Brittany Cobia, who was the internal medicine doctor from Alabama, who was talking about how she was holding the hands of young people uh, oh, on the, their deathbed. I know where you're going. begging for a vaccine. Yep. They were begging, begging and it was for, too late. for help. And it was too late. If you listen to that and you internalize that, you understand this. We, we should all understand this, that the best medical answer today and the best political answer is get informed, get serious, and get vaccinated. Uh, and in a country that's still under 50% in terms of those who have been vaccinated, and with a true scare in Florida, you talk about Florida, I'm in Florida now, you know, it's, we're one of the uh, hotbeds of the Delta variant. Get out, get vaccinated, get it done. It is really, you almost go back to, to JFK, to President Kennedy, where he said, don't ask what the government can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country, what you can do, is get out if you haven't been vaccinated. And I think that's a message that not just the president uh, must and needs to carry. We, the American people, have to start to, to act on, on what seems to be just very sane medical advice. So if I'm understanding you, Adam, then there's no point in talking about masks. We need to focus on people getting vaccinated. Is that right? Well, I think you should. we should do everything we can. I've had family members, I've had people in our community who in the last couple of days have come down with the Delta variant. It is hitting home now. Man. This is the time, I think, when you have people's attention, when you should try to do everything across the board. Uh, if that includes masks, that's great. But the first and most vital step is the vaccination. So do it all. As I read on the terminal here, this is a story. COVID increase in hotspot states forecast to worsen. Listen to this. Nationally, cases are likely to rise to 306,909. How about that for being specific, for the week ending August 14th. That would be up 39% from last week, from where we were last week, according to a compilation of forecasts from the CDC. Jeannie, that is a scary number to think about, and it I know we've talked about this a couple of times, but it speaks to the changing language that we've heard on the right. It's even coming from Fox News hosts at some point. You heard... Marsha Blackburn talked about it on this program earlier this week with Republicans now saying Steve Scalise was one of them. Go talk to your doctor and get the shot. 
That's right. And, and they are right to say that, it, you know, it may be a little later than some people wanted, but but they are right to come out. We heard the head of the CDC, as you've been talking about, saying things are looking very, very dire with this Delta variant. And yet there are also other things being done. I mean, I want to mention that you have the mayor of New York City who came out and said, one thing we're going to do is require people in the health industry to have proof of vaccination, to Adam's point, or to get negative tested weekly. We're also seeing that in other parts of the world, like Italy saying that they're gonna do something similar now. So there are steps that can be taken, but I do think this is a very tough moment for the White House because they made a promise of 70% that they missed. The Delta variant has kicked up here to tell people they have to mask again in the face of governors who are saying they won't require that in their states or their towns and cities and counties very tough political maneuver for the white house here adam i'm curious to know what was behind the change the overnight almost change in talking points in conservative media and among some conservative politicians to say you know what i got a shot go talk to your doctor and make that personal decision it's different than saying hey everybody go to a federal vac site line up and you know where we were months ago but now this very specific order to go sit down with your doctor and have a private conversation. Is the White House talking to Fox and and other conservative outlets? How did this all come together seemingly in one day? (laughs) It's a great question. And you know what the simple one-word answer is? Reality. Reality has kicked in for everybody. I I think a lot of us felt, okay, we've gotten over the worst of it. Yeah, we heard about the variants that were somewhere half a world away at this point, and more and more people were getting vaccinated. And it seemed we could breathe again. People were coming outdoors. Uh, the mass mandates that were giving way to open mandates to, to live and be free again. And then suddenly this news hit us like a ton of bricks. And it is indefensible. If you look at this new evidence and you understand what we've just gone through for better part of for over a year, and you're not changing your tune, if your tune before was, well, freedom says you can kind of do what you want. I believe that there's a social contract a social compact we've got to recognize once again in this country. And it begins with doing what's right, not just for yourself and your family, but for others. And I think Republicans and conservatives have come very quickly to the point of view with the new evidence that's in play that they're going to have to get on board and help uh, lead, lead the way as opposed to, you know, kind of make excuses for, again, liberty and freedom being an alibi for not doing the responsible thing. Spending time with Bloomberg Politics contributor Jeannie Sheehan Zeno and Adam Goodman, Republican strategist and columnist and fellow at Tufts University. I want to ask you both about jobs and some of the comments that we heard from President Biden last night. We talked about some of this earlier, but the sort of idea that workers are for the first time maybe ever in control as opposed to the wealthy dictating what labor will do. This was the president last night on CNN. I think it really is a matter of people deciding now that they have opportunities to do other things and there is a shortage of employees. People are looking to make more money and and to bargain. Jeannie, the president basically said, if you want to hire people, spend more, pay them more money. Is that the answer? 
But he was paid more. I think that sounded to me a bit like the old Joe Biden we used to hear when he gets off script. I I don't think that's exactly what he meant to say. And of course, you look at the jobless numbers you were just talking about, you know, to say that, you know, simply just pay people more in this economy and inflation is still an issue or to say that it's in the hands of workers who are out there negotiating. You know, we've got almost, you know, about 12 and a half million people in this country who are still claiming jobless benefits. 420,000 people, uh, new jobless claim increases. You know, these are big, big numbers. So I'm not quite certain that the answer is simply pay them more and they're out there negotiating. And I think we heard Jen Psaki try to walk that back a little bit or at least explain it and put it in yeah. context. Well, although we have Adam heard him say something pretty darn close to that in a news conference at the White House when he kind of leaned into the mic. He said, you want to hire people, pay them. Now, obviously, we've seen wages increase dramatically and, and, and frankly, unsustainable level in some areas. We, we were referring recently to this 30% increase we saw in one case, according to the Beige Book in Boston. But how else are you going to get people back? Well, I, well, first of all, I want to say Jeannie was right on about you know, the president and I think having to walk it back. Let, let me bring this into a larger context after I give you one, one headline. In Florida, in Florida trend, uh, uh, I think two weeks ago, there was a headline that said 500,000 Floridians unemployed, 500,000 job openings. I mean, that kind of says, you know, it's not about there are not opportunities that people are choosing. A lot of people have been choosing not to work. But the bigger issue here, uh, Joe, the bigger issue, and you saw that in the new Harris poll when they did you know, the poll on the infrastructure bill and the, the four, the three point five trillion on top of that. Um, a lot of people support the infrastructure bill, but 61% in that poll uh, said that social uh, spending must have bipartisan support, and almost 60% said they are worried about runaway taxes and inflation, and that's why that number is too big for them. And well, we've got a lot to learn on this. Adam Goodman, I'm sorry we're out of time. Republican strategist and columnist, come back and see us. I know Jeannie will. Jeannie Shee and Zeno are Bloomberg Politics contributor. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. Glad we could spend some time together here. Will we get a deal tomorrow? Let's meet back at this time and find out. On Bloomberg Sound On, I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com.